Good morning, everybody. Let's stand as we worship the Lord. Happy New Year. It's 2015. We get to start the year off right praising Jesus. So, Father God, we just glorify your name. We lift the eyes of our heart up to you this morning and say that you are Lord and Savior. Receive our praise this morning.
be the ultimate example of surrender. God, we want to be just like him, giving ourselves completely and solely to you. God, we love you and give you the highest praise. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before you're seated, why don't you turn around and greet someone? There are a lot of new faces here this morning. Greet someone and welcome them to the assembly. Today I want to set the context for this series in Daniel. I'm going to kind of help set up Pastor Ron and, and his messages. And I also want to give you kind of my own challenge and a challenge to you as a church in this new year. I didn't have a title for this message um, really before coming into today, but this morning while I was praying, my thoughts just kept going to the same phrase that, that it would be resolve that is beyond resolutions. Resolve that is beyond revolutions. And before I get into this message, let me just pray that, that God would speak to all of us today, that he would have his way in every single one of us, and just so that he would accomplish what he wants to. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. God, we're, we're always excited to, to have this opportunity to, to see what you have said to us, God. And God, I pray that you would speak clearly. God, I pray that you would help me to bring this message, God, with a, with a passion, God, with an excitement. God, I pray that it would stir hearts, God, and that it would challenge us and bring us to a new relationship and a new place of growth and, and just readiness for what you're going to do in us and in this new year. God, we pray for an awesome service. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, in the book of Daniel, give you the, the setup here, King Nebuchadnezzar is, is declaring war on Jerusalem. And he has the entire city surrounded, and he's laying his attack on the city. He's going in, and he's destroying anything that's of value to the Jewish people. And he's also going after the next generation of leadership. Um, he's going in, and, and he's taking their things that are sacred. He's, he's going into their temples. It's almost like a slap in the face to their culture. And, and he's, he's going into their temples, and he's taking anything that's of value, anything that's sacred, and what he doesn't destroy, he's actually taking back to Babylon and placing it in the temple of his God back there. So it's, it's like taking the Bible and placing it in a, in a non-Christian church. It, just, it doesn't make sense. It's almost a slap in the, in the face to these Jewish people. And he's not only attacking the city and leaving everything in shambles, but he is attacking the next generation of leadership. And he's taking their youth as captive. And he's taking them all the way back to Babylon. And Babylon is actually a city that um, it's, it's present-day Iraq is, is where it's located. And it's oftentimes still referred to as Babel or Hilla, Iraq. And just to give you some geographical context, this is about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And so if you think about this, this Babylonian army comes into Jerusalem. It's a month-long journey to get there. They lay siege on the city. And then they, they are going to go another month back to Babylon, and they're taking these young Jewish boys. That's, that's a long time to have a bunch of teenage boys on, on, a, on a trip with you for a month. Um, so he goes in, and, and he's, he's laying this siege on the city. And now I want to pick up the story with you in Daniel chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles or, or your devices, you can turn there. We'll have it up on the screen. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So Nebuchadnezzar is going after the best of the best young men in Jerusalem. And so he's not only trying to destroy their city and what's happening at present, he's also trying to destroy any chance at stability that they might have in the future. He's kidnapping their young men. And then it says in verse four, and he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So he's going to train them in the Babylonian culture. He's going to teach them the Babylonian language. Basically, he wants to indoctrinate them to speak like Babylonians speak, to think like Babylonians think, and he's going to try to redefine entirely the way these young Jewish boys believe. Verse 5, Then the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, the name Shadrach. To Mishael, the name Meshach. And to Azariah, the name Abednego. And those are probably, other than Daniel, the names that you probably would recognize more so. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these four friends originally had these Hebrew names, all with connections and ties back to the worship of of God, of our one true God. Daniel meant, God is my judge. Hananiah meant, the grace of the Lord. Mishael meant, he that is the strong God. And Azariah meant, the Lord is a help. And so if you're Nebuchadnezzar and you're trying to to reshape and redefine these, these young boys, you are probably going to be offended by a name that says, God is my judge. Because as, as the king, you want to say, well, I'm your judge. Or a name like Mishael that says, he is the strong God. And, and you think about it, Nebuchadnezzar wants to be the one with all strength and all power in this culture, in this society. So what does he do? He, he changes their names from these uh, Hebrew names into these Babylonian names. And their new names actually have to do with the worship of the Babylonian gods. And so every time someone called them by their new names, it was almost a reminder that said, you don't serve your God anymore. Now you serve these Babylonian gods. And the Bible never says exactly how old Daniel and his friends were. But most research and most Bible scholars say that they were somewhere between the age of 12 and 15 years old. So 12 and 15 years old, I I just woke some people up down here in the front. This is where our our young people are. If you think about it, that's somewhere between the age of sixth grade and ninth grade. And that is young. That that is such a crucial time in a young person's development and, and who they are overall. So now let's put this in perspective. Let's put ourselves into this story. Because I believe that when we read the Bible, to get a better understanding, it really helps if we put ourselves in their shoes and really think about what, what would that have been like if, if I were in this situation. So let's put ourselves in the story. So imagine if some foreign country comes in and attacks us at home and they leave nothing but devastation 
and, and chaos all throughout Tulsa and all throughout Broken Arrow. We would be up in arms, we'd be upset, we'd be devastated, we wouldn't know how to respond. And then imagine if they came into our homes and they came into our churches and they started destroying anything that was sacred, anything that was of value. You know, a lot of times they say that if a home catches on fire, that the family's first response is to go in and get the things that are of value, maybe like family portraits or, or maybe um, or documents on a computer or, or a safe that you might have important things. But those were the things specifically that the Babylonian army wanted to destroy. So imagine this happening. And then if they came here to this corner of 101st and Olive, I think they would probably start with the three white crosses that we have out front. They would immediately destroy those because it's, it's a representation of a God that, that they don't want us to worship. Then they would come in here, they would take our Bibles, they would take any device that we have that we'd would be able to access the word of God and they would they'd burn that up because they wouldn't want us to have that opportunity for that influence. And then not only that, maybe the worst thing, if they came in and they, and they kidnapped all of our young teenagers and they took them back to their own country. And while they're back there in that new country, they're going to be made into servants of the very same king who just destroyed our city. Imagine the, the feeling that, that you would have if this were to be going on. So our youth are, are hundreds of miles from home. They're given new names They're stripped of their identities. They're being taught to speak a new language and they're being taught to worship new gods. And they're left to grow up in a culture with beliefs that are entirely different from the way that they were raised. Everything that was familiar, everything that was normal, their entire life, now it's all completely different. So imagine the chaos. Imagine our response because this is exactly what happened to the people back in Daniel chapter one. If we were in this situation, we'd be devastated, we'd be overwhelmed, and we'd probably just feel like giving up. We'd probably just feel like throwing in the towel. I can't handle this, this is too much. My family has been torn apart. I mean, my, my son or daughter has been taken from me. This is, this is too much. And the interesting thing is, is that Nebuchadnezzar's attack isn't so different from the spiritual attack that we face today. Think about the comparisons. One, the devil wants to take us captive. He wants to take us prisoner. He wants to take away all of our freedom that we have in Christ. Just like Nebuchadnezzar took the the young people captive, it's the same way the devil wants to do in our lives. He wants to, to ruin us and have this grip and this hold on our lives. The second thing is the devil wants to destroy anything that's important to us. He wants to to come in and confuse and manipulate what we know to be holy so that way we have a distorted view of God and the things of God. He wants to call us by a new name. He wants to call us by a name that that defines us in a negative way and in a way that causes us to, to lose our focus on God and focus more on our failures. I feel like that's, that's so our enemy that he, he's, he's letting us know again and again, this is where you messed up. This is, this is where I know that I can, that I can come after you. This is, this is the problem that I know you have. And so I'm gonna call you by that name. So what do we do if, if the devil wants to kidnap us from where we belong? What do we do if he wants to strip us of our identity in Christ? If he wants to steal, kill, and destroy our healthy reverence for God? If he's declared war against all of God's people, 
then what's the response? If we look back to Daniel chapter 1, we can see how Daniel responded. Even as a young teenager, it, I mean, talk about uh, learning a lesson from a youth. Even as a youth, he, he faced all of these pressures and all of these challenges that would compromise his faith. How did he live for God in such an intimidating and contrary culture? And how did he deal with the constant confrontations to his commitment? In verse 8, we can see what it was that kept Daniel. And this is also the main verse for everything I want to say to you guys today. In verse 8, Daniel chapter 1, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Those first seven words in this verse are powerful. I want to read them again. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And in this new year, the first thing that that we need to establish is we need to be people of resolve. I know the new year is a time for, for making new resolutions, and there are all kinds of jokes that we can make about these resolutions. I saw this on one person's Facebook this last week. It said, Dear God, my resolution for 2015 is to have a fat bank account and a thin body. Please help me to not get this mixed up like I did last year. We're so terrible about keeping our resolutions, but I'm not talking about the kind of resolutions that we make and then break three days later. I'm talking about making a resolve like Daniel made, a resolve to holiness, a resolve not to defile ourselves with anything outside of God's plan for our lives, a resolve like Joshua 24, 15 that says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, a resolve like 1 Corinthians six twelve that says, I will not be controlled or mastered by any sin or anything, because at some point, we've got to show that beyond our resolutions, we actually have resolve. Daniel wanted to honor God in every area of his life, but he knew that the, that the food that was from the king had been sacrificed and it had been offered to these other foreign false gods. And if you think about it, it wasn't like this was the food scraps that was going to be thrown away to the animals. It wasn't like the dollar menu at McDonald's. It wasn't like the drive through at Taco Bell. Daniel was being offered the finest foods from the king's table. So what does that mean for Daniel? If, if you think about it in context, he was being offered the most luxurious way to sin. And he was being offered the most appealing way to compromise and break his commitment. And that's so like the devil. Again, one more comparison is, is he's offering us this thing that he knows that we struggle with. He, he comes after us on our Achilles heel, the thing that he knows that, that we struggle with the most. He's going to offer us the most appealing and the most luxurious way to sin. So you know the temptation to give in was there for Daniel. But he was firm in his resolve and he would not defile himself. It didn't matter what name they wanted to call him. It didn't matter what new language they wanted him to speak. He might have to live in Babylon, but he didn't have to be influenced by the culture and he didn't have to compromise. Regardless of how good the temptation looked and regardless of the enemy's persuasion, Daniel kept his commitment to God and he stayed faithful. And like Daniel, we need to be people in 2015 of resolve. 
The second thing we need to establish in this new year for ourselves and for our lives is we need to be holy. We need to be holy. As a boy growing up in Jerusalem, Daniel most certainly studied and and read the scriptures. And so he knew what God had said. He knew in Leviticus 19 verse 2 that it says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. He knew that God had called him to this life of holiness and being set apart. And so he didn't partake. He didn't accept what the king had to offer. And in choosing to remain faithful, he was saying, I still belong to the one true God. And I would much rather have the satisfaction of knowing him and his blessings than to have any option of any other temporary pleasure. To be holy means to be consecrated to. Or I love this definition exclusively devoted to. Daniel had an exclusive devotion to God. If you think about it, when two people get married, what do we call it sometimes? It's called holy matrimony because the two people are exclusively devoted to each other. They're, They're exclusively devoted to their spouse. And so if the Bible is calling us to holiness, then what it means is that we should have an exclusive devotion to God. No more going back and forth. No more living one way on Friday night, another way on Sunday. No more choosing to live in sin here and then just, you know, it'll be okay. I'll I'll pray later. No more of this back and forth stuff, but completely exclusively devoted and surrendering our ways for God's ways. Romans chapter 12, verse one says it this way. I appeal to you in view of all of God's mercies. And I I thought about that verse. Let me just pause right there and say, I've never thought about this very first part. It wasn't the important part to me before, but in view of all of his mercies, in view of his forgiveness, in um, in view of his grace, in view of his love and his care for us, even though he has grace and even though we can experience his forgiveness, there's still more. What do we need to do? We need to make a decisive dedication of your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, and well-pleasing to God. So it's a choice to be holy. It's a choice to take up our cross, and it's a choice to be devoted to him. We have to make the decision that says, starting today, I'm going to be different. Starting today, I'm going to be better. And just like Daniel made his resolve, I'm going to make a decisive dedication that I'm going to live my life in such a way that I please God. Because when it's all said and done, really the only thing that matters is that I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I fully believe that that Jesus is, is coming again soon. I grew up hearing my pastors say that, and it doesn't discredit, it doesn't lessen my, my passion for, for that thought that, that he is coming again. And, and the Bible talks about it all throughout, that, that he is coming soon. And in Second Peter chapter 3, it talks in great detail about the last days. And right alongside those details of the end times, throughout the entire chapter, there's a call to live holy. Verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter 3 says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And then just a few verses later, very similar, very much the same type of verse. Verse 14, it says, 
So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and we are looking forward to his return, make every effort to be found spotless. Do everything you can. Do whatever it takes to be spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And the closer we get to his return, the closer to God we need to be. And in this new year, we need to be holy. This message is a call for 2015 to be better than 2014. I've seen so many posts on Facebook and I've heard so many people say, and as a pastor, I, I, get, to, I get to hear and almost I have to hear, it's not a burden to me, it's, it's my calling, but I hear the rough stuff. I hear what people are going through. And I've heard over and over and over again about a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles, a lot of difficulties. And there are things in this past year, some of you have had to experience that you never would have thought would have happened to you. It shouldn't have happened to you. And for whatever reason, I agree that it's just been a tough year. There's just been way too much going on, way too many victories on the enemy's side. And I I hate it. I, I can't stand to see that happening. But whatever challenges, or whatever opposition would seek to claim this new year, let's be people of resolve and let's choose to live holy. I love what it says in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine. It says, certainly the Lord carefully watches the whole earth, ready to strengthen those who are devoted to him. And I believe that if we'll stay focused on God, if we'll stay committed to him, that the cares of this world will fade in comparison to his grace and that he will strengthen those of us who stay faithful. That's a promise from his word that that we can receive today. As this world around us keeps getting worse and worse, then as, as people of God and as Christians, we need to keep getting better and better. This could be the godliest year of your life. This could be the purest year of your life. This could be the biggest year of spiritual growth you've ever had. This could be the year where you pray more than you've ever prayed, where you worship more passionately than you've ever worshiped. And you could be the spark of revival for what God wants to do in this church. You could be the spark if you're willing to to let God move in you and, and willing to let God use you. You could be the best example you've ever been for your kids. You could be the best example you've ever been for your grandkids. Maybe, maybe you have regrets in the way that, that you've shown how to, how to live God and the way that you've modeled living like Jesus. Maybe, maybe it is the prayer thing and your kids have never heard you pray and it's like, man, do they even know how to pray because they haven't seen it modeled. This could be the year where you set the best example you've ever set. You could influence more people than you've ever influenced and you could witness to more people than you've ever witnessed to. Isn't that what God has called us to do is to go and reach this lost world? Are we doing it? Are we fulfilling that great commission? We shouldn't stop until it's done. That if there's anybody left who's unsaved, my job's not finished. 
This could be the year where you experience God like you've never experienced him before or in a way that maybe you haven't in a long time, but man, you've been so ready. You've been so hungry. You've just been waiting for that time and that presence of God to come back into your life. This could be the year where you experience that presence in the most obvious way you've ever known it. And you could be the happiest you've ever been in God. 2015 could be the year that God is working in you. It could be the year of God's favor, the year of God's strength, and the year that, that you remember that, man, I, I, I'm so happy in God. I, I, this is the purest year of my life. It's the, the closest I've ever been. We, we even sang these songs today, talking about being close to God and just, God, pull me a little closer, take me a little deeper. I wanna know you, I wanna know your heart. This could be the year that you experience that in its entirety. Daniel set an incredible example for us, showing us how to live differently in an ungodly culture and showing us how to stand for God, even when the enemy is doing everything he can to destroy us, to influence us, to attack us and ruin us. And if Daniel would have compromised, it's possible that you and I would have never heard about him. But because he remained faithful, because he was committed to God, we get to hear about this awesome story. And so the question for all of us today is in 2015 and for this day and age, how are we going to respond? What resolve are we going to make in this new year? And what are we going to believe God to do in our lives? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this message. God, it, it has first stirred me. God, it has first challenged me. God, I pray that it would reach down deep into people's hearts today, that it would stir us up, God, to a place of, of a need for change, God, a, a place, God, of a passion for who you are, God, and what you want to do in us. God, I pray that it would stick. I pray there would be something that we not hear this week and forget about next week like our resolutions often are, but God, I pray that you would help us to be people of resolve, people that choose to be holy. God, I pray that, that you would accomplish what you want to in every single person that's here for the remainder of this service. We pray in your name. Man, God is good. And I'm so thankful that you were all here today. I pray that you have the best week and that, uh, that you just go have a great year and, and just know that God is with you. And, and if God is for us and if God is with us, then who can be against us? You guys have a great day. Be blessed and we'll see you next week. Take care.